Well, happy Easter. Wherever you are, I am so glad that you are joining us to worship together today. These are challenging and difficult times. There is around us darkness and death. I'm sure by now that many of us know someone who is sick from the coronavirus. And that's on top of all the normal hazards of life that give us fear and make us nervous. But I know that in such a time as this, the best thing we can do is gather together and celebrate our living Savior. And of course, these are also really odd times. Here we are trapped in our houses, learning to make masks, learning new ways to go to school and go to work and go to the grocery store. Everything's just weird. We're washing our hands more often than we can even count. And so in honor of all that oddness, I thought today I would tell you the oddest Easter story in the Bible. In fact, it's so odd, you may never have heard this Easter story because all the other ones are so much more obvious. It's the Easter story from the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark is not a subtle writer, and Jesus wasn't very subtle with his disciples. Jesus, and consequently the Gospel of Mark, go out of their way to make sure the disciples know what is going to happen when they go to Jerusalem. Three times, Mark records the warning that Jesus gives. Listen, Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him and spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. See, I told you, it's pretty clear. I mean, who knows how many times Jesus warned his disciples with these words. Mark tells us of at least three. But there is something curious, even a little subtle, about how Mark ends his gospel. After clear and detailed descriptions of the last week in Jerusalem, of the trial and the beatings, of the crucifixion and the burial. Here is how Mark ends the story. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb when they asked each other a question. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? You know, so they could go inside and do the anointings. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Go look at the place where they laid him. But you go now and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
And then the last verse of Mark's Gospel. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And he just stops. Do you notice what's so odd about that version of the Easter story? It ends with the final moment untold. Mark never tells us about meeting the risen Jesus. John tells us about a breakfast on the beach with all the disciples gathered to eat. Uh, Matthew tells us about the great commissioning of the disciples being sent out on mission. Luke tells us about 40 days of teaching and instruction, dozens of witnesses. He tells us about Thomas who doubted but then touched the scars in Jesus' feet and hands. But with Mark, he just ends with a picture of a very different place in the story. The tomb is empty, but no one meets the resurrected Christ. Mark, you see, is answering a question. A question you maybe never thought to ask. What were things like right before they met the resurrected Jesus? And he answers it in the final verse. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now this question Mark wants us to notice, it starts out as a personal question for these women. What were things like for these women right before they met the resurrected Jesus? Well, he tells us they had nothing to say they were too scared to speak. All hope was lost. So they fled, trembling. But this same question isn't just for these women. It's also a, a historical question of grand scope. What would history have been like? What would have happened to this little Jesus movement if Jesus had not risen from the dead? And we actually know the answer to that question, too. We know what would have happened to history and to this little movement if Jesus hadn't risen. The movement would have died and been forgotten. You see, there were lots of moderately sized messianic movements during this period in Jewish history. And for every one, when the leader died, so did the movement. If Christ had not been raised and met by the disciples, well, the disciples would have been scattered in their fear and they would have nothing to say to the world, nothing to send them to the ends of the earth announcing that they had good news. What news would they have to share? Uh, here's how an early enemy of the church described the situation just a few months after Jesus' death and resurrection. He says this, you remember when Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody? About 400 men followed him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed. It all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean appeared. You remember, it was the days of the Sentus. Oh, he led a band of people around behind him. He too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. Therefore, in this present case, he meant with the early Christian movement, I have this advice. Just leave them alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origins, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And he was right. Messianic movements in this period, they followed a pattern. Everybody was excited about a new leader, and then the leader died, and they disappeared. But the opposite happened with the Christian movement. These early Christians, who gained nothing from their preaching except persecution and death, couldn't stop talking about the resurrection. Why else would they do that for no personal gain if they hadn't met the risen Lord? Mark is telling how the great story of Jesus would have ended if they had not met him after the resurrection. It would have ended with the disciples scattered, with lots of to be afraid of and nothing to say. Forgotten to history, a footnote in the list of Jewish messianic movements. And Mark's question, what would happen if you didn't meet the risen Lord? It's also a contemporary question. It's a question that each one of us has to still answer today. If you don't know that Jesus is alive, if you haven't met the risen Lord, where does your story end? Maybe you could find out by asking where is your story right now? Can you relate to the women at the end of Mark with nothing to say and much to fear? Some of you have lost a job recently. Do you hear the voice of fear? This is it. This is the end. You'll never get a good job again. Some of you are stuck in life right now. Do you hear the voice of fear saying, this is it. This is the end. You failed. That's where your story ends. Or you're brokenhearted and fear is speaking. God does not mend broken hearts. This is how your story ends. Or a loved one is dying or maybe you are dying and fear is speaking. Death is the end. That's how your story ends with death. Or you're lonely right now. Boy, a lot of us are lonely right now. And fear is speaking. God does not comfort. God does not console. This is how your story ends ends. You see, when you are in a place of fear and you have not met the resurrected Lord, you don't have much to say. And so the voice of fear speaks so clearly. And if fear is the only voice you can hear, you are left in this life with everything to fear and no truth to speak back. You're in the middle of a story. And the middle of a story is always the scariest part. But your fear tells you that this is the end. And right now, I want you to know, if you're in a scary part of your story, and the voice of fear is telling you that this is the end, well, that fear 
is a liar. Friends, that is the truth I want you to hear today. When your fear says that this is the end of your story, 
When your life leaves you with lots to fear and nothing to stay, that is not where it ends. Because you see, Mark's ending for Mark's gospel is not the end. Even Mark thinks the story doesn't end there. In fact, Mark ends his gospel where he does, precisely so you will notice that he knows and you know, and most of all, God knows that that isn't where the big story ends. Well, how do we know? Well, because remember, Jesus, three times Mark records, tells his disciples where the story ends. The story ends when he has risen. How do we know that's not where the story ended for the women, terrified with nothing to say and everything to fear? Well, because they didn't stay afraid. They didn't stay silent. In fact, these women were the ones that ran around to tell all the other disciples that Jesus was alive. They were the very first evangelists, the very first ones to realize that we have nothing to fear and lots to talk about because Jesus is alive. History itself proves that the story didn't end with those fearful women. Because the church did not drift off into a footnote of history, but it exploded and grew, and all of history changed. On what? On the testimony of a persecuted, poverty, suffering people. What was their testimony? That they had seen the risen Lord. This trembling band of followers that scattered on Jesus' death found the courage to announce to the world that Jesus is alive and all of us can be saved. How did they move from fear to courage? How did they move from silence to speaking out? Well, they tell us how. They met the risen Lord. And that is the kind of fearless life that God wants for you to have. When you know the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, you are offered a life with nothing to fear and so much to say. Meet my friend Leanne, who has a life just like that. So I had surgery last summer and I was a nervous wreck. I mean, just literally shaking like crazy. We were in pre-op and I was shaking so much and my husband said to me, you've got to calm down. He said, why don't you say some of the verses to me that you've been memorizing? So I thought, all right. I started saying them to him. And sure enough, I started calming down and I really felt God's presence. I felt his peace with me. I went through the surgery, came out just fine. And as I was in recovery, you know, when you're kind of coming to, um, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear And I remember I was able to start saying some words and I said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And then I kept going and reciting several verses from Psalm 34. And the last thing I said was, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. To which the recovery nurse said, Amen. (laughs) I'm Leanne and um, I believe the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely true. And because of that, and because of that truth, I can live fearless. When she took her eyes off the resurrected Jesus, she had a lot to fear. And she wasn't sure what to say. But when she turned her attention back 
to God who had raised Jesus Christ from the dead, suddenly she had nothing to fear and, and so much to say. And in fact, for every person, since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, fear does not have to be the final word in your story. God does not intend for fear to be the end of anyone's story. This is one of the most powerful lies of your spiritual enemy. Your spiritual enemy wants to convince you that you are at the end of your story when you're really in the middle. Think of a graveyard. They show up in horror movies as, as scary places. And, and what do we call them? We call them the final resting place. Which would be a pretty good name, I guess, if it weren't for Jesus. And if a graveyard is your final resting place, then it's a pretty good symbol for a whole lot of fear. Because if for us, the grave is the final resting place of our story, I don't know what I have to say. And I've got a whole lot to fear. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that for no one is a graveyard their final resting place. Don't you remember in the great stories, they are only scary in the middle. And God wants to write a great and glorious story with your life. So when the fears you face say, this is the end, or when you find yourself in a fearful place in life and you wonder, is this the end? Your fear is lying to you. Because if Christ is alive, well, look at how Peter puts it. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth, not into fear, but into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. An inheritance that's about the future. That's about your hope. That's about how your story really ends. And the resurrection means that your story ends in hope. Uh, I have an inheritance, I hope, eventually from my parents. And I keep trying to convince my parents to stop spending it. You know how it is. A, a little less travel, a little less eating out. But God's Word says that you have an inheritance coming from Jesus' resurrection that can't be spent on RV camping or fancy dinners. An inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. Peter goes on, writing to a suffering people, and he addresses our present situation. He says, now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is worth more than solid gold, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that the suffering we now face, which is real and scary and painful, is an opportunity for us to put our trust in Jesus, the one who has assured us that the end of our story is a glorious, perfect inheritance. Here's how I remember all that truth. I remember it this way. 
For those who are in Jesus Christ, the end of all things is glorious. So, if things aren't glorious, it must not be the end. If Jesus is alive and he is the Lord of your life, then the last word of your story is not death or divorce or failure or loss or the coronavirus or any other suffering this world throws at you. If Jesus is alive and he is the Lord of your life, then the last word of your story will not be death. It will be life. And if you could meet the resurrected Lord, like those women did, like the disciples did, like dozens, 500 witnesses did, well, you would no longer be stuck in silence and fear. Because of the resurrection, this place of fear where you now live is not the end of your story. Listen, I know it as well as you do. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this life has so much to fear. And there's nothing much we can say about it. But if Jesus is alive, if Jesus has risen and been met by his disciples, then this world has nothing to fear and we have so much to say. So much to say to our friends and neighbors that are trapped in fear. And not just the fear of this virus. Listen, by God's grace, that fear will pass. But there is always someone near you trapped in fear. Someone who is hearing the lie that their present fear is where their story ends. Someone who is stuck in silence with nothing to say. And we who know about Jesus, we who have nothing to fear and everything to say, we must say something. What, you ask? What would we say? How about this? Having chosen us, God called us to come back to God. And those God called, God gave right standing with God. And those God has given right standing, God will also give them glory. What then shall we say in response in these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will God also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for it is God who has given us right standing. We now have with God. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.
God is calling you to step out of your fear today. And everyone whom God calls, God wants to repair your relationship with God. And having repaired that relationship, God will be with you until God has redeemed you in glory. Simply put, I love the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Do you remember it? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I love that ending because that is exactly how all of us would face the fears and sorrows of our lives if Jesus did not rise. We'd have a whole lot of fear and nothing much to say. But friends, Jesus is alive. And I want you to know the risen Lord and I want you to trust him with your life because if you do that, You have nothing to fear in this life and you have so much to say. You could be the one to tell people that because of the resurrection, there is now nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Not COVID and not cancer. Not fear for today or worries about tomorrow. Nothing in this life, not even death, can separate us from God's love. For all that we fear has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why I encourage everyone who is a follower of Christ to live their life as an evangelist, telling the world that fear does not have to be the end of their story. Listen, I hope you come back next week and invite a friend to come with you as we look at the practical teaching of Scripture about how every one of us can live fearless lives even in scary times. God's word has so much to teach us about living without fear, and you don't want to miss a single week. Now, I want to conclude with a special word for those of you who are worshiping with us who are not yet followers of Christ. If that's you, I have an invitation for you today. Just like that passage in Romans said, God is calling you. And God wants to restore your relationship with God and to lead you into glory, to allow you to live a fearless life. Now, today we aren't in the same room. So I can't invite you to come meet me at the end of the service and learn about beginning a new life in Christ. But I still have an invitation for you. If you're new around here and you want to meet me or talk about the sermon, would you please join me in the main church Zoom room, 423-232-5700. You'll need a password, it's 423-232. I'll be there at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Easter Sunday just to talk with people who want to learn about what it would mean to follow Jesus, even in scary times. I would love to meet you there and learn a little bit about your story and answer any questions you might have. And right now in this moment, I've got a challenge for you. Really, I've got a challenge for everyone, wherever you are, whoever you are, I'd love for you to join me in a prayer. It's a prayer that I've discovered is meaningful to me every time I pray it. And if you'd like to, I'd just love to invite you to pray with me. God, I need you. I am lost in fear 
without you. God, I want to follow you, and I want to be saved by you. God, I trust you for my salvation. If you're praying that prayer for the first time and you believe it, you are ready to be baptized into Christ and to begin your life as a follower of Christ. Don't just sit with that reality. Act on it. We're ready to meet with you and talk to you and help you be baptized into Christ. If that's your situation, would you please email me next steps at fcc-jc.org so you can talk with me or a member of our pastoral team about your next steps with Jesus Christ so that you can be baptized into Christ and so that for the rest of your life, along with all those who are trusting Christ for their salvation, you can live with nothing to fear and so much to say about the eternal salvation and hope that we have in our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for you this Easter.